0: OK, that's what we're going to do. We're going to read and we're just going to ask the Lord to speak to us through our reading of his word. We've been journeying from the scriptures and now we're in Ezekiel. We've gone from Genesis and now we're all the way in Ezekiel. And we are in Ezekiel chapter 33, I believe. Let's just double check that. Um, yes, I think we're in. Yes, we're in Ezekiel chapter 33. And so let's get right to it, y'all. Okay. We're going to pray. And what we're going to ask is three questions. God, what are you revealing concerning yourself? First question. Second question is God, what are you revealing concerning people? And then the third question that we're going to ask is God, what are you revealing concerning me? What are you revealing concerning me? This is just a meditation. Okay. We'll say Bible study for tomorrow. Free, Well, it'll be free for you guys who will join us in Bible study, but I will be engaging with our patrons. So please join us on Patreon. I do the Bible study with our patrons, but um, we've opened uh, some opportunities for you guys to participate in the Bible study or to at least get the Bible study and to see it. Anyway, chapter 33, we'll be reading from there. Let's pray and let's get started. Father, I thank you for this opportunity and this privilege that you've given us. Lord, to come from different time zones, from different parts of the world, to come at the same time and to spend time in your re- in the reading of your word. Father, I pray that you would reveal yourself to us today as we read your word. Um, give us a revelation of who you are, not just information as to what you have said. And we ask that in your name we pray. Amen. Let us read. Verse one, it says, again, the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Son of man, speak to the children of your people and say to them, when I bring the sword upon the land and the people of the land take a man from their territory and make him their watchman, when he sees the sword coming up, sorry, coming upon the land, if he blows trumpets and warns people, ha." Uh, Then whoever hears the sound of the trumpet and does not take warning, if the sword comes and takes him away, his blood shall be on his own head. He heard the sound of the trumpet, but did not take warning. His blood shall be upon himself, but he who takes warning will save his life. But if the watchman sees the sword coming and does not blow the trumpet, and the people are not warned, and the sword comes and takes any person from among them, He is taken away in his iniquity, but his blood I will require at the watchman's hands. So you, son of man, I have made you a watchman for the house of Israel. Therefore you shall hear a word from my mouth and warn them for me when I say to the wicked, O wicked man, you you shall surely die. And you do not speak to warn the wicked from his way, That wicked man will die in his iniquity, but his blood I will require in your heart. Nevertheless, if you warn the wicked to turn from his way and he does not turn from his way, he shall die in his iniquity. But if you have delivered your soul, but have, sorry, but have delivered your soul. My apologies. Verse 10. Therefore, you, O son of man, say to the house of Israel, thus you say. If our transgressions and our sins lie upon us and we pine away in them, how can we live? Say to them, as I live, says the Lord God, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that the wicked turn from his way and live. Turn, turn from your evil ways, for why should you die, O house of Israel? Verse 12, therefore you, O son of man, say to the children of your people, The righteousness of the righteous man shall not deliver him in the day of his transgression. As for the wickedness of the wicked, he shall not fall because of it in the day that he turns from his wickedness. Nor shall the righteous be able to live because of his righteousness in the day that he sins. When I say to the righteous that he shall surely live, but he trusts in his own righteousness and commits iniquity, none of his righteous works shall be remembered, but because of the iniquity that he has committed, he shall die. Again, when I say to the wicked, you shall surely die, if he turns from his sin and does what is lawful and right, if the wicked restores the pledge, gives back what he has stolen, and walks in the statutes of life without committing iniquity, he shall surely live. He shall not die. None of his sins he has committed shall be remembered against him. He has done what is lawful and is right. He shall surely live. Yet... The children of your people say the way of the Lord is not fair, but it is their way, which is not fair. When the righteous turns from his righteousness and commits iniquity, he shall die because of it. And when the wicked turns from his wickedness and does what is lawful and right, he shall live because of it. Yet you say the way of the Lord is not fair. O house of Israel, I will judge every one of you according to your own ways. Hmm. Verse 21, and it came to pass in the 12th year of our captivity in the 10th month, on the fifth day of the month, that one who had escaped from Jerusalem came to me and said, the city has been captured. Now the hand of the Lord had been upon me. The evening before the man who came, who had escaped and he had opened my mouth. And when he came to me in the morning, my mouth was opened and I was no longer mute. Then the word of the Lord came to me again, saying, son of man, they who inhabit those ruins in the land of Israel are saying Abraham was only one and and he inherited the land. But we are many. The land has been given to us as a possession. Therefore, say to them, thus says the Lord God, you eat meat with blood. You lift up your eyes toward your idols and shed blood. Should you then possess the land? You rely on your sword. You commit abominations and you defile one another's wives. Should you then possess the land? Say thus to them, thus says the Lord God, as I live, surely those who are in the ruins shall fall by the sword, and the one who is in the open field, I will give to the beasts to be devoured. And those who are in the strongholds and caves shall die of pestilence, for I will make the land more desolate. Her arrogant strength, remember that from yesterday? Her arrogant strength shall cease, and the mountains of Israel shall be so desolate that no one will pass through, then they shall know that I am the Lord God, when I have made the land most desolate because of their abominations, which they have committed. As for you, son of man, the children of your people are talking about you beside the wall and in the doors of the houses, and they speak to one another, everyone saying to his brother, please come and hear what the word is that comes from the Lord. So they come to you as people do. They sit before you as my people, and they hear your words, and they do not do them, for with their mouth they show much love, but their hearts pursue their own grain. Indeed, you are to them as a very lovely song of one who has a pleasant voice and can play well on an instrument, for they hear your words, but they do not do them. And when this comes to pass. Surely I will come. They will know that a prophet has been among them. Hmm. Chapter 34. And the word of the Lord came to me saying, Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to them, thus says the Lord God to the shepherds, woe to the shepherds of Israel who feed themselves. Should not the shepherds feed the flocks You eat the fat and clothe yourselves with the wool. You slaughter the fatlings, but you do not feed the flock. The weak you have not strengthened, nor have you healed those who were sick, nor bound up the broken, nor brought back what was driven away, nor sought what was lost, but with force and cruelty you have ruled them. So they were scattered because there was no shepherd, and they became food for all the beasts of the field when they were scattered. My sheep wandered through all the mountains and on every high hill. Yes, my flock was scattered over the whole face of the earth, and no one was seeking or searching for them. Therefore, you shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. As I live, says the Lord God, surely because my flock became a prey and my flock became food for every beast of the field, because there was no shepherd, nor did my shepherds search for my flock." But the shepherds fed themselves and did not feed my flock. Therefore, O shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God, Behold, I am against the shepherds, and I will require my flock at, at their hand. I will cause them to cease feeding the sheep, and the shepherds shall feed themselves no more. For I will deliver my flock from their mouths, that they may no longer be food for them. Hmm. Whew. Verse 11 For thus says the Lord God, Indeed, I myself will search for my sheep and seek them out. As a shepherd seeks out his flock on the day he is among his scattered sheep, so I will seek out my sheep and deliver them from all the places where they were scattered on a cloudy and dark day and i will bring them out from the peoples and gather them from the countries and bring them to their own land i will feed them on the mountains of israel in the valleys and all the inhabitants and also in all the inhabited places of the country i will feed them in good pasture and their fold shall be on the high mountains of israel there they shall don- sorry they shall lie down in a good fold and feed in rich pasture on the mountains of Israel, I will feed my flock and I will make them lie down, says the Lord. I will seek what was lost and bring back what was driven away, bind up the broken and strengthen what was sick. And I will destroy the fat and the strong and feed them in judgment. And as for you, O my flock, thus says the Lord God, behold, I shall judge between sheep and sheep, between ram and goats. Is it too little for you to have eaten up the good pasture that you might tread down with your feet the residue of your pasture and to have drunk of the clear waters that you must foul, sorry, you must foul the residue with your feet? And as for my flock. They eat what you have trampled with your feet and they drink what you have fouled with your feet. Therefore, thus says the Lord God to them, behold, I myself will judge between the fat and the lean sheep because you have pushed with side and shoulder, butted all the weak ones with your horns, scattered them abroad. Therefore, I will save my flock and they shall no longer be a prey. I will judge. I will judge between sheep and sheep. I will establish one shepherd over them and he shall feed them, my servant David. He shall feed them and be their shepherd. And I, the Lord, will be their God and my servant David, a prince among them. I, the Lord, have spoken. I will make a covenant of peace with them and cause wild beasts to cease from the land. And they will dwell safely in the wilderness and sleep in the woods. I will make them and places all around my hill a blessing. I will cause showers to come down in their season. There shall be showers of blessing. Then the trees of the field shall yield their fruit and the earth shall yield her increase. They shall be safe in their land and they shall know that I am the Lord when I have broken the bands of their yoke and delivered them from the hand of those who enslaved them. And they shall no longer be prey for the nations, nor shall beasts of the land devour them, but they shall dwell safely and no one shall make them afraid. I will raise up for them a garden of renown. And they shall no longer be consumed with hunger in the land, nor bear the shame of the Gentiles anymore. Thus, they shall know that I, the Lord, their God, am with them. And they, the house of Israel, are my people, says the Lord God. You are my flock, the flock of my pasture. You are men, and I am your God, says the Lord God. We'll read one more chapter and then we'll call it. Moreover, the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Son of man, set your face against Mount Seir and prophesy against it, and say to it, Thus says the Lord God, Behold, O Mount Seir, I am against you. I will stretch out my hand against you, and I will make you most desolate. I shall lay your cities waste, and you shall be desolate, and you shall know that I am the Lord. Because you have had an ancient hatred and have shed the blood of the children of Israel by the power of the swords at the time of their calamity, when their iniquity came to an end. Therefore, as I live, says the Lord God, I will prepare you for blood and and blood shall pursue you since you have not hated blood. Therefore, blood shall pursue you. Thus, I will make Mount Seir most desolate and cut off from it the one who leaves and the one who returns. And I will fill its mountains with the slain on your hills and your valleys and in all the ravines. Those who are slain by the sword shall fall. I will make you perpetually desolate and your city shall be inhabited. Then you shall know that I am the Lord because you have said these two nations and these two countries shall be mine and we will possess them. Although the Lord was there. Therefore, as I live, says the Lord, I will do according to your anger, according to the envy which you have showed in your hatred against them. And I will make myself known among them when I judge you. Then you shall know that I am the Lord. I have heard all your blasphemies, which you have spoken against the mountains of Israel, saying they are desolate. They are given to us to consume. Thus, with your mouth, you have boasted against me and have multiplied your words against me. I have heard them. Thus says the Lord God, the whole earth will rejoice when I make you desolate. As you rejoiced because of the inheritance of the house of Israel was desolate, so I will do to you. You shall be desolate, O Mount Seir, as well as all of Edom, all of it. Then they shall know that I am the Lord. Let's do chapter 36 and then we'll be done. Ezekiel 36, it says, And you, son of man, prophesy to the mountains of Israel and say, O mountains of Israel, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God, because the enemy has said of you, Aha! the ancient heights have become our possession therefore prophesy and say thus says the lord god because you because, sorry, because they made you desolate and swallowed you up on every side so that you became a possession of the of the rest of the nations and you are taken up by the lips of talkers and slanderers by the people therefore o mountains of israel hear the word of the lord god Thus says the Lord God to the mountains, the hills, and the rivers, the valleys, the mountains, um, the desolate wastes, and the cities that have been forsaken, which became plunder and mockery to the rest of the nations all around. Therefore, thus says the Lord God, Surely I have spoken in my burning jealousy against the rest of the nations and against all of Edom, who gave my land to themselves as a possession with wholehearted joy, and with spiteful minds in order to plunder its open country. Therefore prophesy concerning the land of Israel and say to the mountains, the hills, the rivers, and the valleys, thus says the Lord God, behold, I have spoken in my jealousy and my fury because you have borne the shame of the nation. Therefore, thus says the Lord God, I have raised my hand in an oath that surely the nations that are all around, you shall bear their own shame. But you, O mountains of Israel, you shall shoot forth your branches and yield your fruit to my people, Israel. For they are about to come. For indeed, I am for you, and I will turn to you, and you shall be tilled and sown. I will multiply men upon you, all the houses of Israel, all of it. And the city shall be inhabited and the ruins rebuilt. I will multiply upon you, man and beast, and they shall increase and bear young. I will make you inhabited as in former times and do better for you than, than at your beginnings. Then you shall know that I am the Lord. Yes, I will cause men to walk on you, my people Israel. They shall take possession of you and you shall be their inheritance. No more shall you bereave them of children. Thus says the Lord God, because they say to you, you devour men and bereave your nations of children. Therefore, you shall devour men no more, nor bereave your nation anymore, says the Lord God. Nor will I let you hear the taunts of the nations anymore, nor bear the reproach of the peoples anymore, nor shall you cause your nation to stumble anymore, says the Lord God. Moreover, the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Son of man, when the house of Israel dwelt in their own land, they defiled it by their own ways and deeds. To me, their way was like the uncleanliness of a woman in her customary impurity. Therefore, I poured out my fury on them for the blood they had shed on the land and for their idols, which they had defiled it. So I scattered them among the nations, and they were dispersed throughout the countries. I judged them according to their ways and their deeds when they came to the nations. Wherever they went, they profaned my holy name when they said to them, "These are the people of God, and yet they have gone out of my land." But I had concern for my holy name, which the house of Israel had profaned among the nations wherever they went. Therefore says the house says therefore, say to the house of Israel, Thus says the Lord God, Do not do this for your sake, O house of Israel, but for my holy name's sake, which you have profaned among the nations, wherever you went, and I will sanctify my great name, which has been profaned among the nations, which you have profaned in their midst. And the nations shall know that I am the Lord, says the Lord God, when I am hallowed in you before their eyes, for I will take you from among the nations, gather you out of all countries, and bring you into your own land. Then I will sprinkle clean water on you and and you shall be cleaned. I will cleanse you from all your filthiness and from all your idols. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you and take the heart of stone out of you. Mm. I will take the heart of stone out of flesh and give you a heart of flesh. I'll put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes. And you will keep my commandments and do them. Then you shall dwell in the land that I gave to your fathers and you shall be my people and I will be your God. I will deliver you from all your uncleanness. I will call for the grain and multiply it and bring no famine upon you. And I will multiply the fruit of your trees and increase of your fields so that you need never again to bear reproach of famine among the nations, then you will remember your evil ways and your deeds that were not good. And you will loathe yourselves in your own sight for your iniquities and your abominations. Not for your sake do I do this, says the Lord God. Let it be known to you. Be ashamed and confounded for your own ways, O house of Israel. Thus says the Lord God, on the day that I cleanse you from all your iniquities, I will enable you to dwell in the cities and the ruins shall be rebuilt. The desolate land shall be tilled instead of lying desolate in the sight of all who pass by. So they will say thus, sorry, so they will say the land that was desolate has become like the Garden of Eden. And the wasted and desolate ruined cities are now fortified and inhabited. Then The nations which are left all around shall know that I, the Lord, have rebuilt the ruined places and planted what was desolate. I, the Lord, have spoken it, and I will do it, thus says the Lord God. I will also let the house of Israel inquire of me to do this. I will increase their men like a flock, like a flock offered as holy sacrifices, like the flock of Jerusalem on its feast days. Hmm. like a flock offered holy sacrifices, like the flock at Jerusalem on its feast days, so shall the ruined cities be filled with flocks of men. Then they shall know that I am the Lord, the word of God. You know, in days like these, when you're reading this portion of the text, you wanna keep on reading. because obviously we see now a change in the narrative of what's happening. What we just read today is a shift in the narrative. We see at the beginning, Ezekiel is not really saying anything sweet. The first part of this this book is, isn't is easy to read because it almost seems hopeless. You just see judgment, judgment everywhere. Judgment on Israel. Judgment on the neighboring nations, Edom. Judgment on Um, um, Ethiopia, judgment on Egypt. We see judgment all around and God executing his judgment by the Babylonians, through the Babylonians. Babylonians have become servants of God in a way. And we spoke about this yesterday, that God is in many ways resetting things. He's reorienting, reordering things because the entire region has fallen completely apart. And so we see here a shift in the narrative as we finish reading through um, Um, chapter 34 or chapter 33. Ezekiel received news that Jerusalem has fallen. Remember, he prophesied this already. He prophesied the fall of Jerusalem. And now Ezekiel has heard the news. He's received the news that what he has prophesied has come into fruition. And then he speaks about the cause of Judah's ruin, and so we read through chapter thirty-three, and we see now everything that Ezekiel spoke about has now come to pass, <clears throat> and we know the purpose by which it's all come to pass. Mind you, remember we've read all this already, right? We've read this through First uh, and Second Kings and First and Second Chronicles. We read about the fall of Jerusalem from David to Solomon. Let me back that up. From David to two split nations, Israel in the north, Judah in the south. And so we see now one nation forming and another nation forming in the north. The nation in the north was attacked and overtaken. And we read this already. And they were brought into captivity. And now the nation in the south has been brought into captivity. We've seen all this happen. We're just seeing it now from Ezekiel's perspective. Ezekiel was among the exiles. And so Ezekiel's already living the exilic life. He's not in Israel, but he's prophesying concerning Israel. And so all the revelations that we saw from the beginning now have been brought to light that the purpose that the reason or what the, the impetus what instigated all of this activity what instigated all of what has transpired has been Israel's worship of other gods in God's temple. We spoke about this before, how when we talk about the worship of other gods, we know the practices explicitly, um, what transpired in these temples. These were evil practices. The practices of these Canaanite gods, these pagan gods, were those of of horrific things, which we're not going to speak into all, these, all detail about it. However, we now move forward, and we see now God is instituting his justice. Understand here. That, and you'll hear me say this over and over again, and that I keep and continue to use this term justice over and over again because this is so critically important to understand that justice embodies the character of God. God isn't just for justice, God is just. You cannot separate God from justice. As a matter of fact, what God is about is establishing his justice. That's what God is about. From the beginning, when he gave man dominion over the earth, God established his kingdom. Wherever there's a kingdom, there is a law. There is an authority. There's a sovereignty. And God has extended his sovereignty through humanity. We were the, we were the ones given the task, the mandate, the power, and the authority over the earth to administrate the earth, to give glory to the sovereign one that is Yahweh. But of course we know that mankind has a tendency to want to seek not Yahweh's agenda, but mankind's individual agenda, mankind's communal agenda, mankind's group thinking, Man has a way of wanting to do what's good for themselves. And so we began to see division and fracture because man wanted to do what man wanted to do, not what God wanted to do through mankind. And so God has separated himself. And yet God is still about establishing his authority and his kingdom on earth. Understand this. This is why when when you really... You know, I don't want to go into full Bible study here, but when you when you really study Jesus's teaching, you're going to understand that what Jesus was about was his kingdom. A large part of Jesus's teaching is about the kingdom. As a matter of fact, it's in part what got him in trouble because this whole kingdom thought made a lot of folks who, you know, who were uh, of of uh, political power made a lot of folks uneasy. And yet, we see here what God is doing is He is establishing a kingdom, a rule to see the flourishing of the earth, to see the earth flourish. This is what God wants to do. God has extended Himself through humanity. But humanity wants His own thing. And so, when humanity, any form, of justice that's about the human ideal, the individual ideal, the personal ideal, the racial ideal, the ethnic ideal. You can go all day on this. It is not justice. It is not justice. And often I ask myself the question, well, what drives our government? And I'm not talking about, oh, just the United States government. What actually governs us as a people? Is it the word of God? Is it the heart of God? Is it the spirit of God? Or is it the spirit of man? Mankind wanted to do what mankind wants to do. Mankind wanted to extend his power. Mankind wanted to extend his authority over others, It's funny how we've been given authority over the earth, and yet we're trying to take authority over each other. Funny how we've given power and authority over the earth, and yet we spend more time trying to prostrate power over each other. The sad reality is that we all, who ought to be one, are all fractured and separated. Wanting our own agendas. The reason why we're against one another is because we're really about ourselves. At the end of the day, we're really about ourselves. Everybody trying to push their own agenda and their own thing. And I love that it leads to greed. It leads to all things that are negative. This is the corrupted nature of man. And now we see the consequence of it. We read all this, go back to the reading rants, go back and read all those. We've talked about this before, but I feel like I have to iterate this because when you understand, I have to reiterate this, sorry, I have to reiterate this because until you understand that the agenda of mankind is fundamentally flawed. Like what's going on in the heart of man is fundamentally flawed. You will not understand why God has to move the way that he's moving. Why God has to do the things that he's doing. Why God is moving through this, this region in this way, because Israel was supposed to bring God's kingdom on earth. This was Israel's mandate. This is why Israel was called. They're given this land to establish a new kingdom under a new law. Not one of power, but of one of love. Not one of control, but one of submission. And that's not what we see here. We don't see it. And again he's, he's 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 giving the warning yes jerusalem has fallen but then he speaks about it in chapter 34 where he talks about the the shepherds even the ones who were shepherding israel have only fed themselves with the sheep that they were meant to shepherd They're the ones who were called to protect to love, to nurture a people. The leaders of Israel, the shepherds of Israel, they didn't feed the sheep, they ate the sheep. And it speaks to this tendency that we see in government, in business, in the church, Yes, I said it in the church. (laughs) You know, people say, well, the church has become a business. The church is worse than that. And the business is worse than that. Is that we've become self-gratifying, self-pleasing, self-protecting, self-glorifying people. Our ideal is not governed by the heart of God. Our deal, our ideal has been governed by the wicked heart of man. And I say that, and I, I don't I want to make sure y'all don't think I'm sounding, you know, so apocalyptic, but this is an apocalyptic book exposing the reality that at this point man in and of himself, man in himself is fundamentally, fundamentally flawed, fundamentally broken. And Israel has fallen into the same predicament as they have because Israel has become them. The shepherds have eaten the sheep. When we talk about the shepherds, we're talking about government leaders, city leaders, those who are meant to serve. We're talking about pastors and ministers who are meant to serve. We're talking about and we and, and we, we we see here the tendency that the shepherd has. To do what's best for himself and not necessarily what's best for the people. This is the wickedness that God is speaking about. And it starts very small and and then it grows and then it grows and then it grows and then it grows and it becomes this debauchery. It becomes this mess. And I don't think we realize how messy it is. It's as ugly as not feeding the ones who are hungry when you're full to sacrificing children. Israel was doing all of it across the entire spectrum. This wasn't a government governed by love. This wasn't a government governed by the heart and the spirit of God. This was a government that was governed by the heart of man who sought after his own selfish gain. And now God is about to replace these shepherds, these, these irresponsible shepherds, these self-gratifying shepherds. He's about to replace them with a true shepherd. I like how the scripture shifts here because we see what was. Jerusalem now has fallen. Ezekiel gets the news that Judah is in ruins. The people now have been completely scattered. And now, what is left for Israel? We said this yesterday that sometimes it takes a full deconstruction for God to reconstruct. I look at, let's just bring it home for a second. Because a lot of folks here either grew up in church or came from church. A lot of you know exactly what I'm talking about. It's a full deconstruction of what you grew up on. Some of you are here, have been hurt by the church. You actually became an atheist, not because you didn't or you lost a belief in God. You never actually did. You believed in the system and then realized that the system was fundamentally flawed and saw all the evil that came out of that system. And now you can't justify believing in God because to justify believing God means you have to justify that experience that you had, not realizing that that was a fundamentally broken system. One not governed by the heart of God or the spirit of God. And I say that because as we get to this point, It almost seems hopeless, but this seems like exactly what needs to transpire. Maybe the pillars need to come down. Maybe the walls need to come down. Maybe the whole thing needs to be torn apart. Maybe the whole thing just needs to be ripped completely apart. Maybe we just got to destroy this. Maybe there needs to be a wiping out. And maybe God is using Babylon to bring Israel to ruin so that God can rise up his nation again. The remnant. The people who aren't about just hearing, but about doing. The people who aren't just giving lip service, but the people who are actually living it out. Taking on the mandate of what God called upon them. These people... Thought they could justify themselves by just following their own form of righteousness, and we read. I know we, we don't have the time to, to go through every detail about this, but notice what he speaks about when he speaks about the transgressions. He says, "There's a whole bunch of folk who hear what I'm saying and feel like it's not fair. It's not fair because we're we're living our truth." It's not fair because we're following our own righteousness. Verse 12, therefore you, O son of man, say to the children of your people, the righteousness of the righteous man shall not deliver him in the day of his transgression. Meaning your righteousness was only good for you up to a certain point. Guess what? Your righteousness was good up to the point that you committed the transgression. And at that point, your righteousness falls apart. Notice that your righteousness means nothing on the day of your transgression. And he shall not fail because, and notice what he says uh, uh, later on. He says, "And, and, and for the wicked person, look what he says. As for the wickedness of the wicked, he shall not fall because of his wickedness. It's almost like, wait, hold on. What are you saying? I won't be righteous because of my righteousness. And another folk, other folk won't be wicked because of their wickedness. This don't make sense. I'm supposed to just follow the rules. And if I follow the rules, I'll be all right. But if I just commit one of these sins, then my righteousness falls short. But then if I live a life of purity... Notice what it says. When I say to the righteous man that he shall surely live and he trusts in his own righteousness and commits an iniquity, none of his righteous works shall be remembered. Meaning God does not keep a track record of how good you are at following the rules. I'm sorry. I'm just going to do a little teaching here before I close out because I got to make sure y'all get where I'm coming from to understand this is not new stuff. Paul, when Paul writes, like, oh, Paul just changed it all up. Paul did not change anything up. This is scripture. This was from the beginning. God has been saying this from the beginning. He's been saying this since Ezekiel. Okay. We're the ones who have a problem with it because we're still fixated on our own righteousness. Fixated on following the Bible rules, making sure we just do what the Bible says and then we'll be all right. Not realizing that none of that matters in the moment that you commit a sin. You lie today. I don't care how good your track record was. You are wicked now if you depend on your own righteousness. If you say, "Well, I've been following the Bible and I've been doing great for 3 years and I've been, man, I didn't sin, I ain't done nothing wrong," which is a, which is a, which is a damn lie. I'm sorry if I get a little too passionate here for a second, which is a lie, but a lot of us we treat Christianity in this way. We treat our faith in this way. Give me the rules. Let me follow the rules. So, but this is Ezekiel thirty-three. This is this is centuries before Jesus. Jesus ain't even here yet. And he's saying, for the guy who trusted his own righteousness, the moment he commits a sin, all of that don't matter. So, meaning, the moment I do something wrong, it didn't matter how good I was up to that point. I'm dead and gone. If he trusts in his own righteousness, a lot of folks do this, trusting in their own righteousness and committing iniquity, none of his righteous works shall be remembered. That means all the good stuff you did, God God won't remember it. Well, God, you know, um, I was I was a worship leader and I was great at church. And I was, you know, I, I didn't sleep around for this long. And I was, you know, I was, you know, and you could go all day, you know, I was, I was great. And I was a good person. I've been a good person up until this point, but I just made this one little mistake, God. And God's saying, great, now that you made that mistake, I don't remember anything good by your own measure that you have done yourself. to quickly point to the reality that our righteousness is not good enough it never will be and because of that iniquity for the man who trusts in his own righteousness he will die oh my gosh i hope somebody's catching this i hope i hope i hope you're hearing this because this is so critically important ezekiel is giving us something here he's saying if you trust in your own righteousness Your own ability to follow the rules and all that, if you trust in that, you will die. And then he further blows their mind. When he says, again, when I say to the wicked, you shall surely die, if he turns from his sin and does what is lawful and right, if the wicked restores his pledge, gives back what he has stolen, and walks in the statutes without committing iniquity, he shall live. So, meaning, in that moment that he Turns from his sin. That word turn from his sin is the same word for repentance. Repentance literally means to turn. He says, in the moment that he turns from his sin, God forgets and doesn't remember anything before that. I don't care how much crime he committed. I don't care how ugly it was. I don't care all of that. If he turns from his sin, God does not remember it. Now, of course, we can. We have to go a little bit deeper. We don't have enough time to do that because repentance also requires, not, not remorse, but repentance requires restitution. <laughs> this is the part people get real, real uncomfortable with here. Is part of repentance is restitution. He says, yes, repent, turn from your sin, do what is right, but also restore the pledge. Give back what was stolen. Walk in the statutes of life without committing iniquity. And again, another conversation for another day, because I don't I don't even want to start there because then we're gonna just have we're just, we just gonna we're just gonna be it's gonna get ugly here. Just remember that there's you can't just say I repent and then move on. You have to repent and then you have to actively participate in restoring what was broken in what you did. And we don't get enough time. We don't have enough time to really speak on this. That sin is generational. And if sin is generational, In the same way that you receive the blessings of your fathers, you can take on the sins of your fathers. And so if the sins of your fathers have contributed to the blessings of your fathers, then you have to actively participate, not just in repentance, corporately, because corporate sin is a thing in the scriptures, but not just corporate sin is a thing in the scriptures, Corporate repentance is a thing and corporate restitution is a thing. That's the part that people miss is they say, forgive us and let's move on. No, we don't get to move on. Now we have to work together to fix what was broken the generation before. I think that's what is missing in America is we just want to move on. Y- y'all caught that. What, what's missing in America is we just want to move on. We, we don't want to not only address the sins of our past, but we want to just say, simply say, yeah, let's just move on. The sins of our past are the sins of our past. But even scripture tells us that repentance comes with restitution. You have to actively participate in restoring what was broken be it generations before, if there's going to be justice and healing. This is the heart of Christ. The problem is a lot of us just want to move on. We want to forget. But then when it's 9-11, we want to never forget. When it's Pearl Harbor, we want to never forget. But for, forget forget some of the great atrocities of our American history. We want to forget that. And the reason why we don't, we want to forget that is because that doesn't, those other things don't cost us anything. That one does. Fam, repentance is costly. Repentance is costly. In the Bible, whenever there's repentance, there's restitution. The problem is, is that we want to simply look at our history, be it generational, be it corporate, be it whatever it may be. We want to just look at our sin ask for forgiveness and just move on you don't get to just move on you have to actively participate to restore what was already broken we want to forget our ugly past in America but we don't want to address how we can participate together to bring restoration to what was broken and yet he says here That part of repentance is restitution. That's a side note. I spent too much time on that. I want to make sure y'all see that. I'm not, we can have a whole, we can have a whole conversation about that. Okay. Because we do that. We, we just simply say, forgive me, but then we don't participate. And this is not just, I'm not talking about just America. I'm talking about even in relationship. We just want to, you know, it's crazy. It's crazy to me. It's it's re- it's really crazy to me that folk out here want you to just forgive them. They just say, just forgive me, I repent, and then they want to move back. They just want to move on. Phil, let me tell you something real quick. If you're asking for forgiveness, somebody can willfully forgive you for what you've done. They have no responsibility to be in relationship with you. Relationship requires not just repentance but it requires restitution. You cannot simply just say, forgive me, and then let's just move on. You have to actually participate and sacrifice yourself to bring restitution to what was broken. When you've hurt someone, you gotta do everything you can in your power to pay it back. The problem is we just wanna move on. And that's why there's a lot of repentance out here but there's no restitution. Your words aren't enough. (laughs) And notice this. You don't need to apologize to me for me to forgive you. I don't need your apology. Matter of fact, I don't need someone to come to me to forgive because forgiveness is me releasing myself of the pain that you did to me. Forgiveness is me releasing myself of the pain that you've inflicted on me. I don't need you to ask for forgiveness for me to forgive you. However, for us to be in relationship again, I don't just need you to ask for forgiveness. I need you to repent. Repent means to turn away from what you've done. And if you're going to turn away from what you've done, I cannot know that you've repented unless it comes with restitution. You've got to not only take into account how you've hurt me, but you have to participate in how you bring restoration to me. That's the only way we're going to be reconciled. And that's the problem with a lot of folks. I, th- I think I'm, I'm just going to stay here because we're out of time. I, I wanted to talk about something else, but we'll take that tomorrow. But I think and, and just, just some wisdom. I'm just giving some wisdom here, fam. Too many of us forgive in the wrong way. We forgive thinking that forgiveness is giving someone permission to come back into our lives. And that's not true. Forgiveness is actually releasing someone of whatever crime they committed against you, whatever pain they had inflicted you, is to release the responsibility to that person. Forgiveness is not bringing someone back into your life. The problem is a lot of people think that forgiving someone is to allow someone to come back into your life. No, that's not what it is. Reconciliation is allowing someone back into your life. You can forgive someone and not be in relationship with them anymore. You can forgive someone and not You know, be close to that person anymore, because if you're a toxic person, I cannot keep you within the periphery of my life to continue to inflict pain on me. But I can forgive you for what you've done. Did you hear me, fam? I can forgive you for what you've done. But just because I forgave you doesn't mean that you have permission back into my life. If you're a toxic person with a toxic pattern, with toxic behavior, forgiveness is not me allowing you to continue to inflict pain on me. No, forgiveness is me releasing you of what you've done. Now, can there be reconciliation? Yes, but reconciliation requires repentance not just in asking for forgiveness. And a repentance is actually changing your mind and seeing the toxic behavior and seeing exactly what you did and saying, I'm going to turn away from that way of thinking. But it doesn't just stop there. That's not enough. Because true repentance comes with restitution. If you don't actively give and support and help bring healing to what you've broken, then there's no point in us being reconciled because you have not yet accepted full responsibility for what you've done. Some of us here, and I'm just gonna leave it there, we got forgiveness really, really backwards. We think that to forgive someone means to let them back into our lives. The answer is no. Forgiveness is not for the person, forgiveness is for you. Forgiveness is for you to heal. Forgiveness is the beginning of your healing. And just because you forgave somebody, you do not need to let them back in your life. Forgiveness doesn't mean that I need to bring you back in, no. And that's the mistake a lot of us make, no. Forgiveness is saying I release you of all the pain and hurt that you committed against me and I'm making a decision to move on and to heal. If we're gonna be in relationship again, it's gonna require repentance. And with repentance comes restitution. You gotta work for this. You gotta bring healing and restoration to what was actually broken. And if you can't participate in me to bring healing to what was broken, then there's no reason for us to be in a relationship. And see, that's the thing, fam, is a lot of us, we give people access back into our lives when we shouldn't. And sometimes we don't allow people an opportunity to get back into our lives. Because we're still not giving ourselves the freedom to forgive. So I'm going to call this read and rant, repentance and restitution. (laughs) We didn't get to finish everything, but these are just a few thoughts. I got to get going, but I really want to sit on that today. I want to sit on that today. I'm going to post this on Patreon. Okay. Um, so patrons, you'll get this. I'm going to edit it real quick and post it for you guys on Patreon um, so you guys can have it. But I I, I really want to encourage you, fam. Really want to encourage you, even today, that those of us who we are still holding on to grudges from people who've hurt us, forgive them and move on. And forgiving does not mean give them a phone call and say, hey, let's just make this work again. That is not forgiveness. Forgiveness is saying, "Hey, I've, I'm I'm releasing you, and if you want to make this work, if you want to make this work, it's gonna be it's gonna cost something, <laughs> and that's okay. That's not sinful, fam. <laughs> that is not sinful. All right, so love y'all. Um, it's good to see you guys. We're gonna pray. We're gonna pray to close, but I really just wanna want you to soak on that for a minute. And if there's anything I want to close with is this. Jesus. This is a foreshadow of Christ. This is a foreshadow of the gospel and the heart of God. That those who may think it sounds unfair, grace is not fair. Fam, grace is not fair. <laughs> That's the whole thing about grace. And I didn't even get into all that. Grace is not fair. Grace is not fair at all, fam. Grace will allow a wicked person into heaven and allow a self-righteous person to go to hell. Grace is the kind of thing that people say, well, I've been a good person all my life. I should be okay. When they realize they're getting less than the person who hasn't done anything good and yet has received it. Grace requires you to let go of your own power and to trust in God. Grace says, I'm going to let go of my own self-righteousness. And I'm going to trust in what God has done. My righteousness is never good enough. It's going to have to be God's. God's righteousness is going to have to work in me and through me. That's what grace does. Grace is the equalizer. Grace is the equalizer. And today, if we read this, let let this be a foreshadow of the work that God is doing, not just through the children of Israel, but the first, for the sake of all others. Notice, he has not just said this is for Israel. He said for the wicked man and the righteous man. And how the wicked man can be made righteous and how the righteous man can be seen wicked. So today, where are you on this spectrum? Are you trusting in your own goodness? Or are you trusting in the one that can only make you righteous? The only one who can make you righteous. And when you experience the righteousness of God, the forgiveness of sins, that's when you have power to overcome all the difficulties of forgiving. You've been forgiven. One last thing. So everything, because you have forgiven someone, you need to be in relationship with them. Because God has forgiven everyone of their sins. Jesus died on the cross as a payment for all sin, for the forgiveness of all sin. All sin has been forgiven. Your sins have been forgiven. Everyone's sins have been forgiven. I don't care if they're in the prison. I don't care if they're on death row. I don't. Wherever they are, their sins have been forgiven. But just because your sin is forgiven doesn't mean you're in relationship. Many folks are in relationship with Christ, and many folks aren't. And the folks that aren't, it's not because their sin wasn't forgiven. It's because they have not yet repented and reconciled. So today, let's not look for the forgiveness of sins. You've already received it. Let's seek reconciliation that can only come through submission through repentance, and through faith. Love you guys, fam. Father, I thank you today as we close this time today. Father, I just pray, Lord, that you would teach us to trust in you, to trust entirely on you. Father, to lean ourselves entirely on you. Father, I pray for each and every individual who's hearing this today, Father, let them be reminded of the forgiveness that they've received but the necessity of repentance. And Lord, among one another, let we know that we're not just simply speaking the word of repentance, but that we're participating. We're participating in restitution. Guide us throughout this day, Lord. Remind us of that and all that we do. And we say that in Jesus' name. Amen.